Hey, designers. Uh, this is Richard Pullman. Before the episode starts, I would like to just point you at my website that uh, I've been adding a little bit of content to. There's not much there right now, but down the road, it's going to grow. There's going to be more content and eventually uh, real information about my game. For now, there's just a couple of articles, and I thought some of you would be interested in that because, well, I took suggestions from game design, role-playing game design people and decided to write articles about stuff that they wanted to see me write about. And so I have a couple up. Go check it out. It's longviewrpg.com. That's longviewrpg, one word, dot com. Should I call you Sprugs? Uh, just call me Notepad Anon. It's like the vast majority of people who are probably concerned about this uh, know me by that. So, All right. Well, I like both names, so anything you want to be called, I'm fine with. But anyway, you're here on the podcast to talk about not just one game, apparently, but a <laughs> bunch of games. And, yes. And I'm excited to hear about that. <laughs> Uh, I've seen you around. I've seen you on TG. You seem to be quite active and, uh, you know, have some, some decent takes on things. Uh, so I didn't realize that you were prolifically, you know, uh, productive in what you all did. Now suddenly I'm finding out you've got this huge library of games you've made. And I have no idea what to expect. So. <laughs> All right. Well, it's, uh, I think we should kind of go back to the beginning. My my first, I've always been designing games for a long time. I my really my first introduction to RPGs was my friend's dad's group, and he was like, "Here's my custom made like D and D three point five and a half OSR clone thing." Right. And th- that first introduction to gaming was being that kind of always put me on the idea of homebrew and being able to really get mechanics. And I helped him with stuff. He helped me with some of my early, very early stuff. Hmm. Uh, the, the earliest project, uh, Heroes of Valor and Mead, that is a dead and gone project. And I made that one exclusively for my friends because we were a bunch of dumb high school kids who had about two hours to play at some points. Right. So we had to, I had to build a system from the ground up to, uh, assist them in that, you know, to like, and mind you, why was in the Midwest at this time and all of the families my friends belonged to, uh, D&D was still, uh, Satan magic. Yeah. People uh, sometimes kids. forget that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things where uh, I actually got accused of one day being like, oh, wow, you must be older then. Like, no, this was back in like 2014. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. there's some places where that that concept. I mean, people underestimate that thing in America. That's a strong thing oh, yeah. in some communities. It's like a black magic. They still consider it to be. Yeah, just... no, I I had to convince a few people, a few parents, uh, those early days. I'm like, no, this is what we're doing. We're playing a fun game, trying to pitch uh, Warhammer Fantasy role play 
to a very Christian mother and father. So their son, who was in it, who loved it, every minute of it, having to pitch that to them was a task that I never want to go through again. <laughs> but wouldn't it be easier to say, I made this system. I made sure there was no black magic in this one. Exactly. That was kind of the... The evolution of that was just like I needed to, like, oh, this is something that a good Christian boy, otherwise known as myself, made. So there's nothing wrong here. Everything is fine. Don't I double, panic. Please. I double-checked the fine print. There's no witchcraft. Yeah. Yeah, that early system had, like, everything I come to despise now. Oh. It was, like, a crazy amount. So, like, there's, like, five meta-currencies in it. It was... <laughs> Like, there was different die values. You had to spend stuff to roll dice. It was terrible. <laughs> I still reference it every now and again. I'm like, oh, God, burn it, burn it. But it's very I, – I, I would love to actually hear about that at some point, but uh, – <laughs> Yeah, know, no, it's uh, – The lessons uh, learned, I'm sure, are just valuable uh, for so many people. Oh, that would be a roundtable and happy and, like, tell us about your earliest projects. God, that, the stories we'd probably hear there. But – I, the, the notepad and on thing, that started about last year on TG, of course. I, I'm a, I'm a, a denizen of the Taiwanese basket weaving form. Mm-hmm. And that started on a, the Song of Ice and Fire, uh, general. That was, the show had just ended at that point. And so there's this huge influx of people and like, we want to play RPG. And oh, anyone yeah. who doesn't, to anyone who doesn't know, the Song of Ice and Fire role-playing game is notoriously broken in a plethora of ways. It's very easy to create characters that are ten times stronger than any canon character, <laughs> uh, can out-manipulate the entire kingdom in five minutes, or you could randomly roll that you are technically larger than the largest kingdom in the entire setting. Randomly roll, huh? That's... Yeah, it... It's, uh, everyone's probably heard of the, the house creation system. It's a great system. Completely nonsensical though. <laughs> Completely banana rama. Who, who made insane. that? I mean, Green Ronin back in like 2006. So it doesn't mention anything of the show. It doesn't have any things like that. It's all based on the books. And mind you, this wasn't like the most recent stuff either. This was Feast for Crows, I think. Hmm. So everything is kind of janky like that. And they took this, they took the base system, they started working with it a bit, then they moved over to that Dragon Age system they were using for a while, a- Fantasy Age, I think it's called, or Fantasy A-G-E. They completely abandoned the system after like one source book. It was like Night's Watch. They didn't touch it again, completely forgot about it. And everyone was like, man, the game kind of sucks. And we want to play it some more. So I'm like, hey, I'm bored. Let's, let's fix it. Let's, let's take my time and go through the process of, you know, changing some things up, making the numbers a bit better. Cause we, everyone kind of knew what the issues were. Right. And it's like any, any big project that you see is just like, you have a lot of people saying, these are the problems, but nobody really wants to undertake them and fix them. Yeah. So I, started doing it. I just went through and kind of documenting like, okay, here are the problems here, here are the problems here, da da da. And the term the, the name Notepad Anon came from the fact that I write everything in a notepad document first. Oh yeah. 
and I just write it real fast. That's just my process. And that's probably uh, a song of ice and fire. The unofficial second edition is probably my third biggest project that people know me by. Oh yeah. And God, the full thing, everything I wrote and I wrote everything single-handedly and people still give me shit being less like, man, the people who wrote this don't, you know, aren't very good. I'm like, <laughs> I think the, the, I think the final amount of words across the, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six major expansions, all of them about 25 pages plus. Whoa. And one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, minor expansions, usually about five to 10 pages, which culminated in blood coin and steel, which was the generic version that people are like, wow, I really, I kind of like the system and it kind of, kind of works. So I had to change a bunch of little things in it. And so I just kind of made it a generic version. That is, I can actually check the word count on this. This isn't even every, this isn't everything. This is just a combination of 27,000 words at 111 pages. Hmm. Wow. That's, that's meaty. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a meaty book, but a lot of the thing, cause the, the base game only had things like, Oh, you can only play like a, a little like noble house. And that's really it. Uh, I added things, this, things people wanted, like, oh, we want to play merchant families. We want to play uh, sellsword companies. We want to play clans and tribes and just random things. And I just went off exactly what people wanted and kind of added things that I thought was interesting, kind of had to, you know, try to clarify points and pieces. And it kind of became its own thing eventually. Yeah. So what do you do with, what do you do with that? Uh, I've, I put it out there at, uh, actually see someone's actually on this right now. I'm on the Google Doc right now. Uh, I put it out there for the thread to use, and I said, go for it. It's your guys's. Click on here if you want to get the, the more specific uh, you know, Game of Thrones stuff, because I kind of kept that separate in case uh, the, the the wonderful people at the, the lawyer town came over and decided mm. to steal my, steal my life. Uh, I kind of had to work with that. But I said, hey, take it. And that's kind of been my motto going forward, kind of, is I'm happy if people play games. This is my hobby. I love it when people do play games. That's why I really encourage, like, any of the GDG threads. Yeah. I'm always in there almost like, tell me about your game. Give me the pitch. Just because if you're playing, you're having fun, and that's my goal. Yeah, no kidding. People are enjoying themselves. I've won, we've won, everything's good. And I've, I've got some pretty good feedback on it. And if someone notices something that's broken or like, hey, the wording here is kind of weird, I fix it. I, I poke into my head into the threads every now and again to check. But Yeah, and so that's an example of, you know, basically there's a problem that is begging to be solved and you step up and actually yeah. answer that call. But, you know, I imagine that you can only do that a couple times and the rest of them are things you just sort of came up with out of it's, thin air, right? Yeah, I've split my my projects effectively up into two categories: personal projects, things that I just feel like I want to do, or thing I like. Hey, this seems interesting. And fixed projects, and fixed projects are kind of like a song of ice and fire. They were things like, hey, people don't like this system's kind of broke, or this idea doesn't quite work right, or this game is kind of janky old, and but people still want to play in it. Let's see what I can do in it. Uh, 
as of right now, I actually have my list open. Like one game I was thinking about doing a fix on is uh, Kid World. It, it was a game that came out way back. It was a D20 game. And it's Lord of the Flies on a global scale. It is a very weird game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of it. It's very small scale. They had a thread on it like a few months back, and I was just enraptured by the strangeness of it. And that's where really a lot of my fixed projects are derived from is this is a really strange setting, a really strange idea. Like, I want to see what I can do with it because either the, the book isn't very well laid out it's just a bad game. Do you see the potential uh, in it, or is it just more amusing to to try to play with something like that? A bit of A, a bit of B. It's, you get some things like the idea of, like, for example, my my desire for Kid World was, hey, you know, you don't see a lot of games where playing a child is kind of, you know, assumed, and kind of having that dynamic of, hey, adults are all blind, and they're all kind of going feral, but kind of not. <laughs> You also have the children who can see and have better senses, but they're also very childish and act stupid. So you kind of have that weird player dynamic right off the bat, and you have a lot of these little weird, fun ideas. Another game that gets bandied about a bunch, and I kind of put it on here, is Abandon All Hope, which was a terrible game, but the idea is effectively you are playing Doom, except you are not a Doom guy. (laughs) Hmm. And you're on a prison ship to space Australia when everything gets attacked by demons. And you're a bunch of prisoners fighting your way through. But it also has a lot of weird, fun mechanics of like, hey, money doesn't work anything. No, money isn't worth anything. You have to, you know, barter in cigarettes or where your, your prisoner number dictates like some of your skills because it depends on like where you were located in the prison. It had a bunch of little weird mechanics. But it was also the only game where uh, being better at a skill made you worse at it. <laughs> what? Like, how the dice rolled, it was all it was a weird D12 system where the higher higher skills and higher things you had in it, you there's a chance that you just critically fail with a way higher percentage. It oh. was a very... It, it was a very, like, but why? <laughs> like, why does this exist from a game design perspective? And I can see it, like, Maybe there was an error in writing. Maybe there was a note somewhere. Didn't do anything. And it kind of gets bandied about in some threads like games that had potential. Mm, right. But just failed. So I'm just like, hell, let's put it on there. And, of course, my favorite game of all time being Riffs. Uh, Riffs is my white whale holy grail. And <laughs> one day I will be able to fix that monstrosity, even though it is the greatest game known to human history. Uh, <laughs> I'll stand by that statement till my dying breath. But back back on the the timeline of Notepad and on writes a bunch of stupid shit. Um, <laughs> over the course of the past year, I found these weird little projects I've kind of taken on myself. Other little ones, and I'm like, let's do an idea, or let's do something that I feel interested in. Like I, uh, one the project that kind of came up was where where is it? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Fists of Chaos. Uh, this is actually one of my recent ones, which I took the entire idea of, hey, let's make a fighting game, because every fighting game apparently that exists is either trying to emulate Street Fighter 2, or it's GURPS. And I have an acute hatred of GURPS <laughs> for various reasons, but and it's just a lot of 
concept ideas sometimes, which were the requests, which kind of brings me to my second, I would say, big game, which, uh, okay, everyone get your stakes ready because I'm going to, you know, put myself up on one. And it's, uh, this was a request by MGW, Monster Girl World Building. I wrote Monster Girl Adventures for them. Oh, wow. Out, out, of, out of sheer curiosity more than anything. Uh, it was an interesting project because you don't think of something like it. It's a fetish setting at yeah. the end of the day. It's a complete fetish setting. There's nothing you can do to get around it. But the people of MGW are passionate about it. And that, I think that's what really drove me to do such a larger project. This is, yeah, this is actually probably my second longest project. In terms of word count and, and effort you've put in or just the time it's taken? Uh, word count at, at uh, 27,000. Again, 124 pages. Wow. And effort wise, I had to add just so many little things because it was, well, we want to play dragons or we want to play beast women. We want to play reptilians. We want to play this. We want to play that. So I added everything and I just, it also started probably one of my reoccurring trends I have in my games of the actual gameplay, actual things that you care about. It's only 75 pages in. There's about a, there's a solid 50 pages of just, hey, here's how you run this campaign. Here's how you run this. You want to add new stuff? This is what you do. Hey, here's a brand new mechanics in case you want to do something. A lot of optional materials. Huh. And I do that because I'm, I'm of the firm belief that you can't really control a campaign once it hits the ground. Right. Everyone's going to, everyone's going to take their game the way they want to. So and you're creating I, a guideline for, for running it, uh, and it's designed for players and the GM to both read and sort of get on the same page, or is it more like a step-by-step tool kind of thing? It's a little bit of a little bit of a, like the, my, my key idea is like, if you don't want to put in any of my extra things, my other little side notes, my little ideas, you don't have to. I'm not going to force you to do it. If you want to just get to the game, it's page one, it's page 73. There you go. Everything that you need. But, hey, I want to know how you would do firearms in this setting. Here's an entire section on firearms. Or, hey, how do I do a solo game? That was a big request, actually. Well, I was like, I just want to do this like me and my partner. We just want to play this together because we think it would be fun. I'm like, here's an entire set of rules just for you because kind of wrote it for a group in mind. Right. Or just, I have an entire section, which is just, here's a bunch of little weird tidbits of information that I think would be good to know, good to have, but it's not required to read because nothing is. And that's kind of what my key thing is. The rules always are going to be set in stone, but whatever your game is, it's yours. How many, uh, just because everyone knows that, how many D&D campaigns are the exact same Forgotten Realms playing the exact same adventure with the exact same characters. Rarely, if any. Yeah. Because everyone takes the story, everyone, every game master kind of does his own thing with it, every player does their own, brings their own self to the world. Right. And that's one thing I always like get across in my games, is this is your story. The, the rules here are just that. They're a rule book to allow you to tell your story. Yeah. I, I see a few games that can be abandoned about, which are, are very specific. 
Like you have this is the this is the setting, this is the game, this is the characters, and this is what you're going to play. Uh that's why I actually don't like uh powered by the apocalypse games very much, because you have like a very set uh dare I say, um how do I want to word this? You have a set game you're going to play. Right. You play an apocalypse world, you're gonna play an apocalypse world game. There's not much leeway into how it's gonna play, and it's like, oh, I'm playing the gun lugger. I'm going to play a gun lugger, or I'm playing the driver. I'm playing the driver. But so that's kind of just my weird rambling rants on that. If you have any questions, feel free to ask. I'll answer. I was so, just going to say that I, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, D&D um, kind of entirely, uh, well, I'm just trying to find it here. I have the, the 5E Dungeon Master's Guide, and... You know, it talks about how this, exactly that. It's a setting that is designed for you to customize. Um, exactly. Like and, the DM, like the DMG, I think is a great tool. Yeah. It says here, uh, this book, the player's handbook, the monster's manual present the default assumptions for how the worlds of D and D work among the established settings of D and D, the Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, Dragonlance, Mistara don't stray very far from those assumptions, settings such as Dark Sun, Eberron, Ravenloft, Spelljammer, Planescape, venture further away from that baseline. As you create your own world, it's up to you to decide where on the spectrum you want your world to fall. So exactly. that's, that's page nine of the DMG. I mean, it, it really is baked in to the system. And, you know, people, I don't know how many people actually read the DMG, but, um, <laughs> Definitely the tradition of the tradition of D and D and the tradition of sort of classic role playing is you're going to make your own world no matter what, and it's kind of foolish to try to go against the tide um, and try to put people in a box. But you can create that baseline assumption. You can create a sort of framework for people to work within. And it sounds like what you're saying is that you want. To not only do that, but to, you know, embrace and encourage more creativity. Uh, like, yeah. how much do you want people to be impressed by your story, the world-building lore kind of stuff? And how much do you want people to just take it in a in a very custom direction? It's... This this will be my hot take of the of the podcast, is I actually don't write that much lore for any of my games. They're really, a lot of them are very much based on kind of more generic, dare I say. Like, this is high fantasy land. I'm not going to write any setting, like, notes and stuff on it, because I assume people are always going to create their own worlds. That, what I like to do is I like to hand people a toolbox. Mm -hmm. Like, here's the engine. Here's everything you need to play a game using this baseline assumption. And here's a bunch of tools if you want to edit it or you want to fix things, or you want to take out that mechanic entirely, go for it. Yeah, that's a frequent yeah. thing that comes up in this in this podcast, is people t describing their games as, as toolboxes. And even the setting itself, in a sense, is a toolbox where you, know, you can choose parts of it, you can not choose parts of it, you can use a certain part as much as you want or discard it. You know, It's there to be practical, it's there to be implemented the way that works best for your own game and to insist on something too much to insist that a certain part of the setting is always very important 
even that is kind of, you know, uh, is kind of hard to get across or to, you know, obviously you can't control what happens at the table, but I mean, you can try in the rules to link things together mechanically in a way that would be hard to avoid. Right. I mean, that's, that's like one of the things that comes up actually in um, MGA is corruption is kind of a fundamental aspect of the setting. And I use it as kind of a baseline of like, this is, this game is based around monster girl encyclopedia it has the ideas behind it kind of baked into the mechanics just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I have a section that are like, okay, you want to fiddle with how corruption works. This is how you do it. And this is like, if you want things to corrupt really fast, not really fast. It's, I think it's unavoidable when you're creating any kind of game outside gray blobs with numbers on them to have a little bit of flavor to it. I mean, think well, about yeah. It sounds to me like you have a pretty, you know, clear idea of sort of features and selling points and, you know, characteristics and like play style uh, things, which is all a different way of creating an identity for a game than here's my backstory, here's my lore. Exactly. It's I a lot of my games. I break, I can kind of break my games down to three schools of thought. Either it's like, we're building a game to do one thing. Like, this is a game about punching people in the face as dramatically as possible. That's what the game is about. You That's, don't want to uh, punch fists people. Fists of chaos or whatever that yeah. is. Fists of chaos. I, I would, a lot of my uh, project names start as Project X. So, Fists of Chaos was Project Fist for a while. Obviously, yeah. I changed that because, yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Project Fist, everybody. I yeah, know. Uh, so just that I'm terrible at naming. Anyone, anyone who notices any of my games, be just like, yeah, just please. Or a game, one of my other, my more recent ones, um, Iron Caskets, which was all about being playing a tank game. Because if you look around, there's not many games about playing a tank crew. Mm, right. And I built with that from the ground up, being like, you're going to play a tank crew. Do you want to play futuristic tanks? Cool. You want to play World War II tanks? Cool. You want to play World War One bathtubs? Neat. You can do it. I always give people the option of, like, here's the base rules for your thing. But it's about that thing. It's a single-purpose role-play yeah. unitary games. No, bizarro GURPS. Instead of one system to rule them all, it's many systems to do one thing. Right, right. Yeah, and I would I would always say the games that I'm not always super happy about that I end up writing are the ones where I don't have kind of a clear vision going forward of how I want to do it. I'm just like, I'm just going to start writing and hope for the best. Yeah, you said there's three categories, so what are, what's the other categories? The second category is like the very broad, open ones for usually for me and my friends. And that's one I want to have is standard issue science fiction, CIS which is about playing science fiction games, uh, fun fact, uh, and Where the Light Fades Softly, which is a lot more about playing in a you know, post-apocalyptic Metro-esque settings. Those games don't really have a key setting. They don't really have any key assumptions. Their base idea is, here are rules to play in this very specific thing. Go nuts. Instead of really specific, they're kind of broader setting-wise. That makes any goddamn sense. Um, I'd say the third category are the laser-focused games. These are the 
you're going to be playing this for one reason and one reason only, for no other purpose. And there are, I, I would say there are two that really come to mind. We have Grand Belm, Dancing in the Midnight Realm, which Grand Belm was like 2018 Japan anime, which was bad, <laughs> but I enjoyed about magical girl mecha battles, uh, battle royale and slap a bunch of other, uh, keywords on there and do jazz hands aggressively every now and again. But <laughs> I'm like, this setting, I had a, I literally woke up in the middle of the night being like, that sounds really stupid and fun. I wrote down the rules for it, wrote down the engines for it, and I just wrote it. Can you play literally any other game in that? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I tried being this like, well, you can try to do this. It doesn't work. It's <laughs> for that specific laser focused idea. And right. It sounds like that's not just, see, I, what I'm hearing is kind of like, there's generic, uh, role-playing sort of toolbox approach and then there's more like a genre approach and then there's like a specific show or yeah a specific setting or even like a specific scene or episode of a show it's like this is the one thing we're trying to simulate or emulate whereas a genre is more like lots of things can happen in this genre and we just we just need those things to be able to happen whereas it's like the tighter you get into just like a certain kind of moment you want to recreate. Uh, oh yeah, that, I think yeah, I think you you kind of nailed it on the head pretty well there. It's I think that's why I like the model. I have the, that's probably the fewest ones of the really laser focused ones, and it's always funny because the really laser focused ones are the ones I have the oddest mechanics with. Hmm. Uh, the other two kind of share. The more the more broad I end up going, the more kind of I end up sharing mechanics across different games. All right, and yeah. different ideas kind of meld into each other a little bit. Yeah, so get, the more universal yeah. something is, the more uh, essentially, I'm not. It sounds bad to say watered down, but it has to be. Yeah. You know, the sense essentially watered down in order to accommodate so many different things without being a bloated five thousand page mess. Like, yeah. That was actually my biggest problem with standard issue science fiction when I went during my fix process. I'm just like, you know what? I wrote this game a while ago. Let's go fix it. It was terrible, and that was a fun, exciting adventure I hated. But I had to focus it down even because it was so broad. It was so massive that I'm like, this doesn't do anything I want, really wanted to do. So I had to chop a little bit of bits off, kind of sacrifice some parts that I'm like, I really want you, but I don't think it'll work. Uh, I kind of put some things elsewhere while you said that you hated GURPS. Is this tie in with why you don't like GURPS is that it's, it's so generic that it doesn't feel like it's, it's meant for a certain experience or genre to a degree. Yes. GURPS to me is two, two, I have two issues with GURPS. My first one is, as you kind of say there, it's the length of the ocean the depth of a puddle. Yeah. So yeah, you can go really hardcore with GURPS and put in all the mechanics you want and really make it kind of exactly the way you want it. But that's also going to take 15 books, uh, about 17 different ways to recite things. And it's not, you're, you're doing me- like hardcore arithmetic in some cases. It's like, no, you want to play this game. Let's play, let's build something from the ground up saying, we're going to build this. We're going to make this rather than. If you cobble all these pieces together, you'll get it eventually, maybe. Hmm, yeah. Second, second reason I dislike GURPS is that it's 
kind of almost the antithesis of game design, how we like it. Because if you can say, it's kind of the, my problem is, you can do it in GURPS, or you can do it in D&D. I hate that phrase. I despise Mm, it. Interesting. I'm a creative soul, unfortunately. And my, I don't like it when anytime it's like, oh, well, how do I play this game? Or how do I play this setting? And the first answer on any thread is GURPS. It's like, no, no, no things to actually like what to do in GURPS. No, you know, book suggestions, not even any ideas, just GURPS. It's like, that's this the answer. Also, I think I deafened someone by slamming my table. Um, that's, that it's this now I know you. who I've been triggering every time I say that. Oh God, <laughs> not you. <laughs> but that's how I kind of view it. It's if we if everyone just said okay, just use GURPS, like let's just delete GDG now because obviously it, every single one of our games can just be just use GURPS on. Yeah. No, I I, I, I was just going to say that that. Uh, you know, I, I think that's mostly a meme when people say that, but, um, I've always liked GURPS because of the fact that I just see it as, I feel like I see it the way that it was more intended to be used in the first place, which is it's a system that is completely meant to just get the ball rolling for you to make your own system with. And, and like, exactly. like you shouldn't, nobody should buy a supplement for GURPS ever because Anything that the supplement is going to add is something you could probably add with very easy common sense. Like just once you understand the sort of basic point cost uh, logic of disadvantages and advantages and, you know, the the way that they set it up, you just see the pattern and then you're like, oh, I want to add this type of ability that's not in the book. Well, I'll just add it myself and I'll make it three points per level and then... There you go. Like I see it as like training wheels for anyone to just build on. But for yeah, some it's... reason it has like, and I think the designers have actually said this is that the only reason they make splats and extra expansion stuff is because that's where they make money. Like it wasn't meant to be an expansion heavy system. It was just, that's, there's like autistic level, like, I just, whoa, I need to know this. I need the official book to tell me how to do low oh, yeah. fantasy. It's like, well, it's like, God, think about how many people who try to, you know, put like 1920s gangsters into D&D or try to. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it try, tried. It's a disaster. It's hilarious. But it's people like to have like, this is the official book. And that's why I always try to put, like, I always try to put everything in mind. Because people are going to reference it being like, well, I don't, well, he didn't add this, so I don't know how to add it, so I'm not going to think about it. Being like, no, here, take it. Like, this is how you do it. This is how you can do what you want. Yeah. Or, hey, this is, I leave everything really open and kind of give everyone the, like, hey, this is how I explain things and this is how this math came out to be. Wouldn't it be a shame if someone were to edit that math? Yeah, exactly. It's I'm I'm trying currently in my game to write a GM guide that basically forces the GM to get in the design chair and, you know, make some of their own tools uh using by like I basically set it up and you finish it. Like I'll, oh, yeah. and and I'm hoping that if somebody were to play it they could 
they could get on board with that and it'll be like, you know, I'll just straight up put a section in there about like, Hey, test your, test your GM skill. You know, here's a test, uh, a monster that looks like this, you know, stat it, you know, just you decide what it has, but just make sure that it matches what it looks like. And it's like, if you can't do that, you're like, you're basically not qualified to run a real, like in, in a creative campaign. Like you need, it's, you need to buy a campaign that tells you everything and here's the stats and here's the, where you can put them and stuff like that. It's like, I, I want people to be creative because that's how I see every book, every RPG I come up, I, I come across and I read. I'm like, this is pushing me as a creator in this direction. And if I go on board with that, here's the, all the different stuff I'll come up with. And, and I got cringe away from people who are just like, no, get, tell them, spoon feed me the content and I, tell me exactly how it has to be done. And tone and rules and stuff should be set up in such a way that it encourages creativity in my books. And I, GURPS doesn't necessarily do that, but it creates such an easy pattern to copy that, that that's why I've liked it. And, and games that have too tight of a setting, um, I can enjoy because it's just like you said, it's laser focused and obviously you got on board to do that one thing, but anything that tries to be more broad and be a toolbox, like, yeah, help people to just get in that chair and design something themselves. Oh yeah. And that's a lot of, a lot of the times in my kind of broader focus games, that's why I like to do, or I like to put in a scenario of like, Hey, you, the game master have to do this now, or, and this is how you do it. Uh, like, hey, this is how, like, you create an adventure, or this is what kind of what monsters are kind of how they're kind of built like. You know, like, I'm not going to tell you exactly how or how to do it right, but I'm just going to show you this is what I did for it, or right. this is what you should do for it to kind of create a balanced encounter. And yeah, because because I would have no idea how to run a monster girl, you know, campaign. <laughs> so if you lay out the the logic of it. You know, that's all I really need, I think, is like, you know, you, oh, yeah. you create the logic for it, walk me through sort of the big picture of what people would expect or what makes it cool, you know, pitch me the idea. And then, you know, I can start to work with that because otherwise I would have no idea. Oh, yeah, no, trust me. And it's what I've, what I've actually started doing in uh, Monster Girl World Building General or whatever the hell they decide to call it these days is compile everyone's custom worlds and just like, hey, well, this is my cool setting and these are my assumptions with it. And I help them being it's like, hey, this is what you assume. Do this in MGA and it's exactly the way you say. Or, hey, this looks pretty interesting. You know, if you want to do something like this, add this, take away this. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of give them a little bit more creativity when it comes to that. It's Some games it's harder to do than others. I think anyone... Some laser-focused games are kind of so intrinsically tied to the setting, it's almost impossible to use them for anything else. Well, like something like Iron Caskets, that sounds really interesting. It doesn't really sound like a role-playing game to me. I don't know if you... Is, is it a role-playing game, or is it like a skirmish game? It's... I, I would say it's the bizarre hybrid of both. It's mostly about... You're trying to win a battle, but you're doing it entirely within a, a single tank <laughs> as a team? Ever, Every character is a tank commander of their own tank, and it's a lot more about the logistics of things, about these various, you know, heroic people in this conflict and how they deal with each other. It's the, 
hey, well, we need to attack here. Well, that's insane. Don't do that, Commander. Or, but the kind of the fight is that key thing I wanted to get across because fun fact, everybody, being in a tank may sound really cool until you get to a fight with another tank, then it's death. <laughs> it's, you know, I've had to go, I had to go like a really in depth of like how fighting in tanks work. And like, yeah. if you get hit, you there's a good chance you might die instantly and how you build the game around the so concept of death. Yeah, and, it kind of feels like, um, it sounds like a, like a simulation game, uh, where, Instead of doing what most people would think of in a simulation game where you're all about customizing your tank, you know, to hell and back, you're, it's more like you're simulating just the experience of being in and trying to manage the tank. Yeah. It's because one of the, one of the things I kind of note down in that game is at the end of the day, you're not really playing the tank commanders. The group isn't. That's the player. Those are the people that you are kind of slotted into to view the world through, but Characters, the players are really playing the company. They're playing their, you know, larger group of soldiers and the trials and tribulations and, hey, we, this was a glorious victory for us and, you know, everyone back home's loving us and we're getting a lot of support and what do you mean they're sending us on a suicide mission because they think we're great? <laughs> or, hey, we're a bunch of down and rough and dirty people. Keep, we're fighting this losing battle. We keep losing tank commanders, and this kind of have that general feeling of, hey, we started this campaign with these five characters, and we have one guy left from the beginning. Everyone else has died at least twice. And it's kind of that building up the glory and renown of the company, but also kind of managing everything. It, I, I even put in there, like, this game isn't supposed to be, like, a like massive game. It's not supposed to take you, like, five years and then, you know, 200 plus sessions to beat. It's a smaller focus game. It's about right. Like, but hey. I was going to, yeah. So I was going to say, like, I'm, you're describing it as a laser focus thing and I'm getting a, a clearer picture of how, what it all involves. But even in a case like that, don't you think that's a, that's a situation where you'd want to have some advice for somebody creating a campaign in there? Cause there's still a GM, right? Or is there not? Yeah, I know. Oh yeah, there is. There's there's a GM and stuff. So it's... you'd want the GM, somebody who's maybe not already deeply interested or knowledgeable about tanks, to be able to just say what is it that is that justifies a tank RPG, and what kind of yeah. campaigns can I make in here? And you know, if you were yeah. if you make the right kind of suggestions to people, you might actually come up with a surprising number of campaign types you could do with that. That was actually like one of the reasons I made it because I, because it was, it was actually a thread of like, why don't these, why doesn't this exist? And someone said like, there's no good tank game. And I actually looked around. I spent like a solid three days of just like looking at various tank games or where it is. And you got games like Twilight 2000. You got games like Only War, the 40k RPG, but none of them really did tanking justice and for a while there i actually had a big problem with iron caskets because i tried to make it the players are members of a tank crew and that just didn't work mm. it's i tried everything i could for it and it just didn't mesh nothing quite crumpled together just right uh, but i watched inspiration and was like okay the thing that really got it working is me watching was actually a bunch of war thunder clips just to try to get, like, how the tanks move and stuff. And it wasn't 
the fact it was, it wasn't, I wasn't more interested in, hey, this man shot this other guy with an AP round and he blew up, oh my goodness, lol. It was the communication between the various players. It was, hey, I gotta flank around or I'm gonna hold this point or I'm gonna, I have to move up here or everyone advance. We've got a bum rush. Right. It's kind of the, the, the orchestra of trying to conduct these tanks together. Yeah. It was and just this rhapsody of just people screaming and yelling and trying their best to try to make sure everything worked together. And I, I, I know the firm belief that when you're designing any game that don't hesitate to look outside the gaming sphere for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually, there's a lot of people who say like, Oh, well you just look at mechanics of other games, look at things there. But God, there's been a few games I've written, which I, there is nothing like iron caskets. There's no tabletop game that does like tanks and vehicles to that extent as much as I wanted. So I had to watch video game clips. I had to watch T-34, uh, from Russian movie. I had to watch a bunch of these weird things just to get the feeling of I am in a tank and I am a going to go to fight. And this is my, how everyone's interacting with each other, how the loader works. See, I uh, love that because it's based on research. And when you don't have that insular gaming, especially tabletop gaming point of view, this is why I actually love talking on this podcast to people who have never made a tabletop game before or are just like coming at it from such an outside perspective that they don't have the preconceptions that limit them to which other system should I rip off and tweak the the dice like a little bit and then say it's mine like they're coming at it from a point of view where they think anything is anything is valid and they'll try stuff out. And when you're, even if you're totally familiar, and I mean, this is true of professional, you know, the, the best professionals, they, they still try to talk to and research things that are totally outside of the gaming sphere because that's where innovation comes in from is to say nobody has done this. So how are you going to innovate if you're only within the bubble of what's been done. Like, Oh yeah. It's what I've actually started doing in kind of my own free time as I, you know, play games and such with friends is when I'm playing a video game, what I try to do is I try to imagine myself of where I would roll the dice and what the players would be acting and what they would be doing. Hmm. And it's, it's kind of a weird exercise when you started that first. Like I've been playing uh, Elderborn recently and weird dark souls doom game. It's odd. I like it. But it was interesting because how the flow, how the movement, how the game works, because I could see myself saying, like, okay, you know, I'm going to dash forward, use one action to do that. I'm going to roll the dice to see if I hit them, see how much damage I do, but I'm going to do this. And I was just kind of viewing myself as both game master and player playing, quote-unquote, this game, kind of seeing how everything flows together. Right. Or me and my friends, we were playing AI War the other day and just seeing kind of the larger scope of like what a war game like this would be like. Such, so massive that it's like, well, everything has to be macro. So you couldn't mm-hmm. just say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to build my one starship. No, it's like, I'm going to build my 500, you know, ship fleet and roll them at the enemy. So it's kind of that interesting perspective. I'm actually thinking about throwing that on the GDG as a as kind of a question prompt for everyone. Be like, hey, turn your favorite game into a tabletop game. Well, but, I know one of my big inspirations to actually finally switch from daydreaming a, a massive multiplayer online game, I would like to 
to design, which is obviously ridiculous and, and impossible, but uh, to, you know, being like, oh, I'll make an RPG on tabletop was uh, playing the StarCraft board game. Exactly. Uh, so when I, I, I was a huge fan of StarCraft and I loved the custom modes especially, but, you know, the playing the board game was like, oh, that's what I was doing the whole time when I was playing it. Like it recontextualized yeah, the decisions that I was making. There's these decision points that I didn't even consciously think about when I was playing the video game. But now when I see it in board game form, it's like, oh, that is kind of like a major decision that starts like a new phase of what I'm doing. And it just, it showed me the game from a new perspective and it was really wild. And it really got me thinking along that line constantly. Oh yeah, I know it's, there's, there's been a few games that I have kind of started doing that with. And you, you start doing it just so immediately once you just kind of notice it, you're like, wait a second, it all makes sense. I think, like yeah, I think prefer. the first thing I did after I, I played that was, uh, as I was playing Team Fortress 2 like crazy and I'm like, I want to make a tabletop Team Fortress 2 ripoff. And, and so I made like this, uh, skirmish, you know, team versus team game where you have these classes that are, they weren't the same characters as the legally distinct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I just had, you know, ideas, crazy ideas I wanted to try. Like in the end, it basically came up with something closer to like Overwatch or something like that, where it's like, you know, I, I have the crazy ninja in the mix of, you know, World War II soldiers and, uh, and the futuristic, you know, this or that kind of guy. And it was like this hard mix of genres and stuff. And, and I had a hell of a time, you know, figuring it out. But once I got it working, it was, you know, it, it was pretty nice. I mean, I had to, I wouldn't show it to anybody nowadays because, uh, uh essentially I, I would describe it as a stalemate simulator. I was very, I had a big problem with making it so that every option had a drawback that made it so you weren't sure if you should even do it. Um, and yeah, I had some bad habits back then. This was quite a while ago, but yeah. <laughs> we, we all look back at our old games and cringe. <laughs> yeah. In my folder, I have the dead project ER. I'm just like, okay, let's just forget you exist. As I'm play testing it with my, my, my friends, it's like, I just realize every turn is taking like 15 minutes because it's always like, I, I want to do this, but if I do that, then I'll, oh man, then I'll be in this crappy position. And mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, just do it because it's fun. And there's a, there's a, isn't it fun to just have a, every decision oh, yeah. be this agonizing trade off you have to make. And turns out, no, it was. Yeah. It's, I've, I've been fairly lucky. My gaming group is like the perfect mix of souls to play test a game you have the really overly cautious guy you got the brazen out there and then you kind of have the more measured response mm. the more theatric ones it's, it's kind of like that I, I i i do not wish to trade my group for anyone or anything just because <laughs> how they how they bounce off each other is also really good and they always provide really good feedback for any of my crappy games i throw at them <laughs> so yeah that's probably why you've you've done so many because you can you know, that, that's yeah. got to speed up the whole process when you can basically see every angle at once just from a single play test. If I'm lucky as well, it's like one of my big things is I actually don't like play testing my games. I like other people play testing it because as the game master, as someone who wrote the thing, I sometimes have a big problem with overanalyzing. Like I've had a few people in various threads and stuff like, Hey, I played this. This is what I saw. This is what didn't work. I'm like, 
give me more. <laughs> like, give me all the answers because yeah. I can see where they're coming from that I didn't see previously. I wrote the damn. You know how it's supposed to work in theory, but oh, yeah. they're seeing what it actually does when you run the damn thing, you know. Yeah, I know. That's, but yeah, no, I, I'm happy with my friends. We, we play a janky setup, but it works. But. Well, you said it, you it, had it, a bunch of games in development still. What, what I mean by in development, I mean, they're games that I've either written some things for and I still need to do some fixing stuff on them or it's, they're kind of in that weird, you work, but not the way I want you to. Ah, right. So they're essentially just uh, unfinished. Yeah. Uh, I would say I have one called Table Talk Online, which was a giant parody of Isekai anime because all my friends are freaking weebs. But uh, that one I actually did a play test of with them. We actually had a pretty decent campaign until things kind of fizzled out due to life issues. And that game is so massive and such a pain. That I've, been, I've been, like, directly avoiding touching it. I'm like, please don't. Oh, God, there's so much to do. Like, I'm probably going to have to, probably after this most recent project, I'm going to dedicate myself to fixing them. Well, you said, uh, what I'm what I'm curious about is that you said uh, um, you work on Notepad while you're making this stuff, but where does it all end up? Like, is it is there any centralized place? Is it on Itch or is it on, you know, do you try to publish it in any way or are you always just distributing it for free here and there? It's, I have everything, uh, in a Google Docs. That's, that, that's the process. If it gets written in Notepad documents, then it gets transferred to Google Docs. I clean it up there, add pretty things to make sure everything's actually legible and readable. Uh, I recently, as of like two, three weeks ago, actually got myself a website from Wix. It's not exactly pleasant, but that's why I've been posting everything just because I had people request it more than anything. And it's like, hey, where do you find this? And I've been posting just games like randomly on, you know, TG usually when someone asks us, like, hey, this game looks interesting. Where is it? And you're like, here you go. Yeah, but just drop the PDF or something like that. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I was hoping that you had a site or something because I mean, that's, that's quite a few games that sound very interesting and, and diverse enough that, um, it's my, my biggest fear comes from two games actually. That I, I was kind of hesitant to kind of post because I want to post one because it's arguably my proudest work. The, the one that I have probably the one, uh, the second, the one I'm most known for, unfortunately, in some cases. Uh, and the other one is I would get canceled immediately if it saw the light of day. Uh, but I can say, I can say it here. Uh, a little known game that doesn't work and it's actually fundamentally broken in a hundred different ways, but, uh, Cough, cough, it's Racial Holy War. Oh, jeez. Yep, that was a game. It was when everyone was uh, making fun of Sword Dream. Remember that? No, uh, the, I don't know what Sword Dream is. Sword Dream was they were a split off of the OSR community to make a more inclusive space for games. Oh, yes. Okay. Yep. They were a big thing there for like a few months and they pittered off. Like they're still around, but they're not nearly as kind of uh, abrasive as they were. And someone made fun of Sword Dream. And it was someone proposed, why don't you make a Sword Dream of Racial Holy War? And I'm like, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I, I rewrote the game. It's functional. Uh, I still need to fix it. I, I need to actually go in there and amp the memehood up to like so ludicrous levels where it's impossible to like make fun of it outside of just 
Yeah. Like, it you, used to be satire. <laughs> yeah, it, it's making fun of itself at that point. Hell, it's called Racial Holy War Moon Man Edition. Just to <laughs> amp up the, the insanity of it. And that's what I plan on doing. Uh, the second game, my, my proud one. Oh, that's, have... okay, good. This is the, the next one is the one you're proud of. Okay. No, yeah. The one I'm proud of. <laughs> not Racial Holy War. Racial Holy War, that's a big meme. But the one I'm proud of, and again, one that I'm, one I'm probably most well known for is called Hearts of Darkness. Or as it's probably better known as Witch Doctors and War Crimes. Well, that sounds the, pretty good. The story behind Witch Doctors and War Crimes is one of many TG projects, but it is started as an idea of, well, African Warlord Simulator and had a few threads to begin with, had some interesting ideas, and fell off the face of the earth. Threads were getting deleted left and right. Nobody knew what was going on. I managed to get into their Discord. And, you know, I'm just like, hey, I write games for fun. Let's do this. I can help. Hmm. What I found was the most bizarre, weird, I wouldn't even call it alt-right or, you know, but very racist, very pole-centric uh, place with a lot of idea guys. <laughs> and what I mean, I, there were three writers. Uh, one was ESL. English was a second language and it right. showed. Uh, one just didn't know anything about Africa. And the third popped in every now and again, wrote one thing, left for another few weeks, and then would come back, write one thing. But we always had all these idea guys talking. And they kept adding, like, these very bizarre things. The original draft of Witch Doctors of War Crimes, the one I saw originally, had such amazing concepts such as the education stat, which the lower it was, pretty much the stupider you were, uh, the more bonuses you got. They did not explain what the bonuses were, though. Oh, they just assured you that there were bonuses. Uh, there were bonuses uh, to the morale system that wasn't in there. And the very naughty N-word was said repeatedly. Oh, wow. And it wasn't in, like, it wasn't meme Like, if it was kind of that kind of mimic, kind of just so ridiculous, like, no one can take this seriously kind of thing, then I'm like, okay. But it wasn't. So you went into no. this... this uh you know, hellscape of, Project, uh, yeah. of Project. bad and ideas and memes, and you decided that you were going to salvage it? Yes. So I wrote uh, Witch Doctor and War Crimes, dig it, Dancing in the Glory of Monsters edition, which is based off a really fantastic book about the Congo War, which I read in uh, college. Fun fact, I read, a, I took a few classes about African history, about their politi the political situation in college, so I knew a lot, I knew a lot about it, Obviously more than them. Yeah. Yeah. So I shifted the game away from, uh, law so random black people dumb game to let's talk about Africa. What's going on there? Right. About warlordism about the resource curse about problems going on in, in this continent. Uh, they subsequently booted me from the server because I wasn't following, following the what. Uh, the, the core principle, uh, to summarize from the, the lead developer at the time, or lead quote unquote developer, uh, it's supposed to make them look stupid. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, okay. There's a design goal. Yeah. I'm just like, ooh, no. Uh, and that's where kind of the initial big split happened. Uh, I rebranded it because Witch Doctors and War Crimes kind of had its own connotations at that point on the board about 
it, and the lead developer was completely insane. He would post random ass threads and get mad at mods. Mods equals gods. Remember that, kids. Uh, so I rewrote Hearts of Darkness to make it more about it's an insurgency simulator, right? A game about dealing with these conflicts, about dealing with these problems, and I had to do a lot of research on it. Yeah, it sounds like almost educational at this point. Yeah, there there's a few I I did, and I played around with some of the expansions. Uh, what I worked on because I'm like, this ideas deserve a little bit of screen time because there isn't a game that does this. No one really talks about kind of the weird mysticism that goes on in Africa. Nobody talks about the like why does General Butt Naked exist? Why did he exist? He hmm. he existed because of the you know the you he needed to. That was kind of just a a pure momentum created a person like that. And I wanted to really get across the idea of you don't start as this mass murdering evil warlord. You start right. as a normal person and you just slowly go down that dark path because you have to to win. And because it stops being about the noble cause, it starts being more about this we have to win because we have to win. Yeah, it's a tragic uh yeah. yeah, I can see that. I can see it in my mind already. That's very interesting. And uh let's actually see if I'm going to open this up. But some of the expansions I did for it, I did one on the Middle East, oh. which I did one post-apocalyptic. I love post-apocalyptic apocalyptic stuff, so I I wanted to do that one for fun. Uh, then I, then after the fix occurred, I did this big thing that's like, let's do a fix of the game. Let's make everything prettier. Let's make things more interesting and a little bit more nuanced. Cleaned up the game a lot. I added, uh, Dreaming in Meanfrica, which is all about kind of that, uh, madness and insanity that people always kind of associate with it. And I even address in it being like, this isn't what Africa's like. You know, and here's like, I did a, effectively an entire essay on like, this is how this place is represented. We don't see it here because we don't. That's not, the, the media doesn't show us that, or you know, we don't learn about it that often because it's not really our concern in the West. But this is how it's presented. Dreaming and Meepika has some things such as having a spirit assault rifle where you can shoot magic bullets out of, uh, <laughs> Yeah. And I, I deliberately go into that being like, this is a joke. Like, do not take this seriously. Other ones is I dealt with the Yugoslavian conflict and the various conflicts there, the Spanish Civil War and kind of dealing with that as well as the Chinese Civil War, uh, which is one of the reasons one none of my games will ever get published in China. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like you're not too worried about, uh, getting your squeaky clean family brand, uh, name out into into the big leagues. No, it's, I've, I have kind of given myself the expectation that if I were to sell any, uh, you know, if I were to ever go into me, let's like, all right, everyone, time to pay, pay Notepad Anon for his work. It would be a very few amount of these games. Like maybe I could get like one or two of them, maybe, but if they found like any of my other games, no. Yeah. You'll just like, have to have a subscribe star and then, uh, have people, you know, chip in, but not technically pay for these games. And I was actually debating. My friends have been encouraging me to start a Patreon, and with the with the intent literally being, you're not paying me for the games, you're paying me for the writing, and just let people suggest games that I would write. I usually yeah. ask like, hey, you have suggestions for games that don't, don't deserve to exist, but 
Like, a lot of these games, I've come to the conclusion, like, why would anyone, A, why would anyone buy these? <laughs> first off, first why would anyone buy these? I mean, Secondly, some of them sound pretty, like, Iron Caskets just sounds like a, a cool-sounding, you know, tank simulator game. Yeah, and, or it's like, some of these I made kind of out of a joke, or as, like, you can't do this, so I'm like, of course I can, like, Feast of Legends, the clapback edition. <laughs> I hate Feast of Legends. I, I hated that game the second it materialized, so I rewrote the entire thing in my own image because I am a masochist. Quickly learn. Uh, or like, Fate Lonely Dance. And like, no one said, everyone said, like, you can't make a Fate game. Like, yes, I can. And it's oh. diceless because <laughs> I, I wanted to do a diceless game. So I did. And it also solved every single one of those damn threads. Like, how do I play a Fate game? And it's like, there you go, kids. All yours. Uh, Overall, I, I would like to say my, my games are more for me. It sounds like you're yeah. trying to prove a point most of the time. Some some of the times I, I try to prove a point that I can that this game does exist or it can exist or it does work or this idea, you know, is something that I want to show the world. Because overall, this market, this sphere that we find ourselves in, it does have a lot of garbage. In it. I, I, we, I think we'd all like to say that every game is precious and lovely and perfect, but when you see a $4 game being sold to the masses, which is effectively dread, except you're Filipino, it's like, but why? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, there's, there's a, na there's a nasty flood of, uh, like it, the, the, there was, the market was already flooded, and then there was like another flood of just like sewer water that just, just came in, you know, it's, I think in recent things, years. Have, things have gotten so easy. It's like really easy to capitalize on things uh, more than ever. Well, it's like Steam Greenlight or things that are like asset flips and things on, you know, the video game side of things where there was the indie revolution where, hey, we don't need big publishers anymore. We can just make our own. And then like all the people who had good ideas and talent were like, okay, let's, let's do this right. And the first ones that were coming out were like trying really hard. And then it got so easy that it was just like, yeah. oh, can I trick somebody into paying, you know, $2 for this meme and then, you know, push it real hard on some forum or something and then, you know, meme my way to a couple thousand dollars and then just do yeah. it again. I think that's kind of the same thing with people saw with tabletop games. And one thing that I also see a lot, too, I don't know if you want to get into this at all, but I see a lot of agenda pushing. Oh, absolutely. In tabletop games, you, you get a lot of, if you actually look at it, there's a lot of games out there which are just like, let's talk about feelings, or let's talk about being gay. And I'm just like, that's not really, like, why? Well, like, it's yeah, exactly. interesting, interesting idea, don't get me wrong, but does there need, sorry, does there need to be a dozen of these games which can effectively surmount to, again, all of these are three, four dollars a piece, to let's sit around in a circle and talk about feelings. That's not a role-playing game. Well, that's what that's I was going to say. I'm not, I'm not offended at all by that on, on an issue of like, just yeah, like you were talking about Africa, you know, the, the complexities of that. You, it's the same thing. You see the difference between somebody who wants an agenda pushed and somebody who wants to deal with the actual topic in an interesting way and do justice to that topic. I'm offended as a game designer that they're doing it very lazily and insulting 
a oh, serious yeah. subject in the process. And I also think that the prolific, uh, I, I would say there's been a few big games that have come out in the recent years that have allowed people to kind of push out games faster and faster with kind of the air of legitimacy, like powered by the apocalypse. I've you know, said that I'm not a huge, huge fan of apocalypse world, but some of the things that have spawned out of that system has uh, saddened me greatly over these years, which like, yeah, there's some good ones. Spirit of the 70s, I, I loved it, or a bunch of other of these little games. I'm like, yeah, this is a really cool, interesting take on the game. Others of them are just like, oh, that's really lazy. You got some really good art assets, put it on Kickstarter, made 500% over your funding goal, and pulled out a game that took you 20 minutes to make. Okay, well, I'm going to go die in a corner right now. That's like... <laughs> yeah, because these are, I mean, I... I don't do research into the creators of these, but it feels like a drive-by drop. That's just like, I I care about this issue right now, and I think there's it's hot. It's a hot button issue. Oh yeah. So so I'm gonna just like drive by. Just here you go. Hopefully it makes some money, and then the next thing that comes by, you know, that I that I can capitalize on, I'm going to exploit that by capitalizing on it by making a super lazy game, and. On the video game side of things, again, there's there's sort of the ultimate equivalent to that with this movement kind of thing that was happening with uh, like sort of like text based choose your own adventure stories. Yeah, stories. Yeah, I, know I know what you're talking about. Ninety five cents on Steam, always on sale. Yep. Exactly. So it was like this thing is designed to be a no skill. You know, like anybody could literally use this thing. Um, there's no artistry to it. It's not really even a game and you can just technically charge money for it. And it's an EXE that you can, you can run on your computer. So we can call it a video game. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Like there's, I think, you know, gaming has a lot of issues, but I think just because the market's so massive, and I think that's why we feel the effects mostly kind of like the tabletops here a little bit more because the market's a lot smaller. And I've discussed this before in a few threads before, but like gaming is like a multi-billion dollar market. Like you're going to make, you can pump out, you know, Life of Black Tiger and still make money off of it. It's a terrible game. doesn't work. You can still make money off it because everyone's just buying games to buy games. The tabletop sphere, you get so many different games where it dilutes actually like, hey, this is a quality product someone put together. Like, um, we'll use an example, Monchops, Vagrants, Trails of Vagrants, Shark. Uh, that's a quality product. He put a lot of heart and soul into it. Hell, a lot of people on GDG put their heart and soul into their games. Will they ever see, you know, more sales than, look over here, I'm sad now, let's go on my forum and my Tumblr group, my Tumblr group bought 700,000 copies of it, distributed it everywhere, and suddenly I'm multimillionaire. It's yeah. like, it's oh. my It's my blog in video game form. Uh, yeah, it's like, like, dang it, I want, that's like one thing I always do in like GDG threads that I find on TG is I always try to encourage people to create things. And I like it when people create things. And you might say like, well, you're just diluting the market and you're, you're, you're making yourself not as you know, impactful in it. And you're like, I don't care. This is a fun thing that I do. If I can make money off of it, cool. But as long as people are creating quality, fun stuff that they enjoy, I've won. Yeah, and the podcast here is supposed to be for – it's not a form of curating because I would talk to more people if I could get a hold of more people, and and I'm not trying to weed out anybody or put anyone on a pedestal. 
I'm just genuinely curious to talk to creators, but something like, you know, a, a community of actual designers trying to solve problems and help each other and focus on quality, like that's super interesting to me. And the shame that I see is that when, when it does get flooded to that point, um, and politicized and, and all that kind of stuff that it just all puts on more and more layers of distraction and dilution to the point where, yeah, the, those couple of games that you might actually want to try or support, um, they're starved for oxygen because of all the other stuff that's in the room, you know, happening and the, the chaos or the, you know, like cancel culture and then yeah. on one side and then like meme fest on the other side, you know, both going at war and the real creators in the middle are just, Hey, here's my little, you know, little tiny bird egg of a game. Oh, it got caught in the crossfire and it's destroyed now. <laughs> like <laughs> just like, Oh, look at my beautiful thing that I've created. Oh no, it's destroyed. Oh, okay. This is fine. Like, I think that's why I've, I've kind of stepped above, I've tried to at least step above it, and then it's like, here's my shit for free. If you play it, cool. And if you really notice how I post, it's like, I don't get involved in politics. I don't like getting involved in drama. I'm just like, here's the games. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, not being political is by this point considered a political stance. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) uh, One of the reasons, actually, in my latest project, the one I'm working on, I called it uh, Sold Out Sounds Identity, a soldier without identity. And the entire idea is making fun of and kind of poking at probably one of the most political games that come out in recent years, uh, Sigmata, The Signal Kills Fascists. Uh, I hate that game, not because of its message, not because of its anything like that. I hate it because the game is lazy, it's quick, mm-hmm. and it made... The, all its Kickstarter stretch goals and we'll get none of those stretch goals because none of the, none of the people that he contracted to do it delivered. Right. So all of this money has just gone to him and no one else. It's very odd to me and he's pumped. And the reason why it's kind of got back on my radar is that he started selling the second edition a year after the first edition came out to fix the game with the second edition. Hmm. And the game, if you really look at it, can be summarized as you're a cool cyborg super soldier with the ability to use laser eyes, but everything just you raise ex- you raise exposure, you lower exposure at ten exposure you lose. That right. is the entire game. It's very lazy. There's no nuance. There's no actual mechanical depth. It's not clever in any way. Yeah, and it's it's it got popular based off the shock value. I mean, hell. Let's think about this saying, this saying the names, like, Mata, this signal kills fascists. Yeah, exactly. This was, yeah, this was right at the height of the end, like the first Antifa stuff going around. You got this swarm of people being like, well, throw money at it because it's so great and wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really dislike the exploitation side of things. I mean, it's the same reason why, why, you know, almost any, like movies, everything has stuff like that where the, the quality indie people are trying. They write their scripts. They, they they work on them. They try to make them good. And you get these this little gem that comes out, and it's dwarfed by the the lazy exploitation movie that comes out at the same time. That just you know no one will pay attention to that other thing because it's it doesn't have the shock value. It doesn't uh, capitalize yeah. on an existing trend. 
And the fact that, and everyone says, you know, why don't we just get more original, like cool stuff that's trying to do its own thing? Why is it always like a trend? And then, oh, we just see more trend stuff. Well, it's because people are capitalizing on the trend and that's what you see because you're paying attention to trends. You're not paying attention to the obscure little thing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a shame because again, we, you see a lot of creators, tabletop video games, movies, doesn't really matter these days that try their best will throw everything they have into it. And I've read some of these things on like GDG, for example, just because this is a tabletop gaming stream. Like I've read some of these passion projects these guys have put into and I love them. They have heart. They have feelings. Like I know like this guy has spent hours plugging away at these numbers. Mm. I know he's spent time meticulously going through every word to make it right. He's like, I'm going to sell it. I, I, I always have to tell them. He was like, don't be, don't prepare to get overshadowed. Don't, you know, don't lose heart because you're not going to sell a lot. Right. Because there's 9,000 other games that are cheaper. And... Cheaper and with names that catch your attention and, and you know, things that'll just... And... Yeah, it's... Yeah, you're, you're trying to like, it's like trying to be a Twitch streamer, you know, uh, you know, without a face cam when you have, you know, the titty streamer and you have the, you know, everything else going on. It's just like, it's, it's, hey, yeah, you, know, yeah, you don't got to tell me about that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I feel like the, the, it ties in with the whole, uh, user generated content sort of, web 2.0 model of you know invite everybody in have everybody pumping stuff in for free and then uh you know it'll sort itself out like a free market thing but what actually happens is is that it gets stratified into the people who are the best at exploiting actually rise to the top most of the time and you know that that there's never that rising action of there's no discoverability of the the little thing that isn't trying to show off too much and is just sort of uh, good but you know not. Yeah, that's part part of the reason why I do some of these games that I do are because of that because I want these games to be discovered, my work to be appreciated to some degree. That's why I'm always happy with like Monster Girl World Building with Monster Girl Adventures. Yeah. Is, they care about it. It's a small little niche community. It's a small little thing people care about. And I'm just like, I've helped these people get something they want. And I'm happy for it. And I'm glad that they're happy. It's just like, okay, you know, I've worked on this big project. No one's going to care about it because there's 15 other games that are cheaper mm -hmm. and message content and everything. And they have a flashier name, so it's like, dang it! Like I, I want to, I, I always like to create things for people. It's hard to get sometimes get to those people when you have to kind of shuffle through everything else. Yeah, that's why but, I like the idea of the indie publisher, yeah. and and the idea of the the web ring. You know, the the group of creators who just by virtue of linking themselves together, you know, can sort of cross promote each other's stuff and if you like that guy's stuff maybe you'll like his friend's stuff or whatever uh, communities and all those sorts of things that are a way of just sort of banding together a little bit at least loosely to just 
not all be totally random, you know, leaves in the wind. Um, you know, this podcast and stuff, I like to try to like, here's a consistent place you can come to, to hear from somebody different about their stuff. And, you know, it's not exact. I, I try not to curate, but I do try to link things together and link people together and have a community that, that feels like it cares about quality and, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, if, if you want to make something good, you know, like I say on TG quite often, post good, you know, make good, do good, post good. And even like GDG, the Discord server itself, it's, I always like to encourage people. I always try to greet everyone who comes in being like, hey, I don't know anyone what's going on. I mean, it's like, oh, hey, person, what are your game? And what's your game? What's, what's this? You know, tell them, give me information. Tell me about you. Yeah. And, Hopefully from people listening to this, they can get a better idea of who you are and what you're working on. And, and suddenly <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guessing if people actually listen to this, they'll have a, a much better appreciation of how many different things you might be able to give feedback on. Oh yeah. I mean, I, hopefully, hopefully people, you know, listen to things and appreciate it. I, there, there's a reason I've actually started uh, streaming recently. That's one of my other things. Oh, nice. I, I, <laughs> I, I do. And so you know I, the curse of, of streaming as well. Oh, right? yes. Oh, yes. Uh, mostly when you stream on the tabletop gaming section of Twitch, and it's your sandwich between, like, live plays and everyone else. Like, I, I've gotten a few viewers that just randomly show up, and they're the best conversations I've ever had with people. And they're just completely random. I met, there was uh, one girl from South Africa that came on at like 3 a.m. her time being this like, hey, I just found your stream. What's it about? Or I found one guy from Scotland who was just like, hey, this sounds really interesting. Give me the lowdown on what what's going on. I'm like, okay, yeah, here. I like connecting with people. Mm -hmm. And if I can connect with people, to get them to play games, to have fun and enjoy themselves, even just dev, I mean... I think we've accomplished something far greater than anything else we can really do. I mean, if we can get all that sick money and make bank off things, you know, yeah. that'd be nice too. But get those Twitch subs. <laughs> yeah, get, you know, give me my simp bucks. Subscribe <laughs> to my uh, got a lot of Patreon uh, OnlyFans. Give buy me a coffee. You, you know how it goes. You know. Donate to me directly, please. I'm starving. <laughs> well. But, you know what? It was great to talk to you about all this stuff because, yeah. you know, I'm sure that you're going to have plenty more to update on, and you can come back when, when, whenever your next thing drops, or you've got some some crazy idea you want to shill yeah, or probably, talk about. There's probably a few ideas that I, I plan on doing. So probably in, in another few games when I've beat them with the stick of mechanics, and desperately trying to make it work. And I would love to do a, a round table and have you on something like that and, and do a more topical sort of, uh, round table on some different game design topics as well. Cause uh, we haven't done that in a while, but. Oh yeah, I'd be down for that. That, that sounds fun. All right. Well, I'll see you back on GDG. Thank you very much for coming on and, and explaining your projects and your view on things and getting the, getting some things off your chest and shilling your stuff. What is the website where people should come and actually find your games? Uh, okay, who's ready to die a little on the inside? It's a notepadanon.wixsite.com slash sprugworkshop. Okay. But, yeah. It, if you don't put the sprug workshop on there, do you still go to a page or is it not even, doesn't it not even work? Well, let's, let's see. I'm actually trying right now. 
Uh, no, it doesn't go anywhere. No. Wix is really weird. It's for it's free, and my friend recommended it to me because I have uh, the rough you know, computer technical ability of a three year old. So I just like type words, keyboard cat. That's my that's my solution to problems. Okay, but, we'll, we'll put a text link in the description of the episode, and and hopefully that works. And yeah, all right. Again, if people come by. Cool. I don't post that much stuff. I do have a little blog where I talk about some bits and pieces, but I should update that. I should really update that, shouldn't I? But and as for your yeah. your stream and stuff like that, uh, do you have a URL for that? Yeah, it's uh, Twitch.tv/NotepadAnon. I stream most nights. Uh, I, I since I since the end of days has you know come to the world, uh, I've unfortunately become a vampire. So my streams have been fairly later than usual. The usual about seven o'clock EST. Right. Uh, though I do plan on hopefully getting them back a little earlier to my initial plans, and I usually stream uh, every other day. I'm, I'm, that's my new goal. So tomorrow I'm going to be streaming on the 18th. So feel free to stop by. I usually just do dev work and talk to anyone who wants to show up, it's usually me drinking and complaining about how math isn't working out the way I want it to. So. Well, that's awesome. That sounds exactly like the kind of thing. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I might drop, drop in any day now, so. All right. Again, it's not creative. <laughs> it's just me typing. So, yeah, no, it's been, it's been great talking to you, Pullman. All right. Yeah, See you. See you.